Dr. Hunter has titled today's message, Labor, the Only Contribution from Us. From the Old Testament, Dr. Hunter has chosen Genesis chapter 2, verse 15. Then the Lord God took the man and put him into the Garden of Eden to cultivate it and keep it. And from the New Testament, from James chapter 2, verses 14 through 22. What use is it, my brethren, if a man says he has faith, but he has no works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is without clothing and in need of daily food, and one of you says to them, Go in peace, be warmed and be filled, and yet you do not give them what is necessary for their body, what use is that? Even so, faith, if it has no works, is dead, being by itself. But someone may well say, You have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without the works, and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one. You do well. The demons also believe and shudder. But are you willing to recognize, you foolish fellow, that faith without works is useless? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up Isaac his son on the altar? You see that faith was working with his works, and as a result of the works, faith was perfected. And the scripture was fulfilled, which says, And Abraham believed God, and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. And he was called the friend of God. You see that a man is justified by works and not by faith alone. And now, let's join Dr. Hunter for his message, Labor, the Only Contribution from Us. If you have your scriptures with you, would you please turn them to uh, the second chapter of Genesis. Every uh, every Sunday I'm tempted to whine and gripe because I've always got more the, that God gives me than I can than I can say. And uh, but I've, we've always said that one thing that's not allowed in our house, household is whining and griping. You got to do something about it. I mean, you can you can gripe if you're in the process of doing something positive, but you can't gripe just to gripe. So I, uh, I decided to take that same rule and apply it to myself. I'm going to give tomorrow evening, this is the only service that uh, is not hampered by some sort of time restraint, Monday evening I'm going to give uh, the full load of what God gave me. And if you're man enough to listen to it, you can come back. Or woman enough, you can come back. I, I, the church called me up this weekend, or a couple of weeks ago, and, and uh, they knew I was going to be in, in Indiana on the 27th, and they asked me if, if I'd preach, and, and I said I'd be glad to. Um, what... Uh, What's usually the time slot for the messages there? And they said, well, anywhere from 12 to 15 minutes. <laughs> I thought, I can't clear my throat in 12 minutes. <laughs> Gave me a little little feeling for what I'm going to be facing when I go up there. But uh, um, it, is, it is imperative for me that I take the positive action of saying, look, I want to tell you everything that God... Uh, gave me for this message. And, and But right now, I'm just going to give you kind of a capsule of it. We have been talking about, in, a, in this summation series, about phrases or ideas that you could continue to tell yourself in all of the five areas of life, in each of the five areas of life, so that you could you could remember them and walk them out day to day. We are working toward a January 9th workshop when we're going to put very practical feet on this on this whole year's preaching. 
But the last two in the summary series that we did, or the, this, uh, the first two in this summary series we have done, has been on love. Remember what we said for love. That we are to reflect the character of God in our love. And therefore, every day or every time the Spirit brings it to our remembrance, we should ask ourselves this question. God, who am I loving in a forever way? Who am I building a relationship with that not only has your quality, but has your longevity? Who are you going to put me with for the rest of my life? So that that special relationship, those special relationships, can reflect how you love. And the second was like unto the first, and it was more personal, more individual identity. And we said in last week, we said that that... That covenant, those covenant relationships that stick together in the name of Jesus Christ, the building up of that is the only thing that stands in between the individual and and personal uh, um, life or that build up within the individual family in a society that's coming apart at a rapid rate. Therefore, until we get this build-up to nurture and model the families, and it'll take years, and we'll find out who's in on this after years, what, can, what is the defense of a family? And that, we said, was to build their image in God. What does it mean to be created in the image of God? Remember we said that an image is just an image. It is not anything in itself. It is only made to reflect something else. And we were made to reflect God. We were made to be like God. Romans 8.29, conformed to the image of Christ. And therefore, all of our lives, in every circumstance, we are to ask this. God, how are you involved in this? Every circumstance we come up to. God, how are you involved in this? You must be the source of allowing this to happen. How can I carry this to you? How can you provide in this circumstance? And if we do that every day, our lives will not come apart. Because God will be our source. He will be our security, not our circumstances, not our nation. And God will have victory in our lives. Now, we come to, this is my, oh, if I had a personal favor, it's tough to pick out a personal favor, but this is how I'm wired. We come to labor. In all of the other areas, in life, in limits, in love, in learning... God is the main provider. But when it comes to labor, He calls for something from us. He calls us to make a contribution. He calls us to take initiative in response to what He's done. Look in the 15th verse of the second chapter. Then the Lord God took the man and put him into the garden of Eden to cultivate it and to keep it. Remember when we said those two Hebrew words meant, on the one hand, on the positive end of the spectrum, cultivate meant to produce something that wasn't there. To make something come about that had not existed before. To plant and to care for and to reap that which had never been. On the other hand, the Hebrew word to keep means to stave off the destruction of, to guard it so that it will not be spoiled. Now here's what I want you to remember, and here's the theme of this message. 
Those seem like they are at the opposite end of the spectrum, but both of them call for the exact same dynamic in our life. And that is that we do something. We take an action. Whether you're planting a seed or you're pulling out a weed, it calls for the same dynamic, that you do something. And here's what God wants you to remember all your life, that you were put here to make a difference. You were put here to give. God's a giver. You were put here to give. If you are made in His image, you are put here to give, to make a contribution. And every day we ought to be able to say, this world will be different. Not just my life. This world will be different because of what I believe, because of who I reflect. Things are going to change. I can't change everything, but I can change something. I can't change everyone, but I can change me. I can't answer all the problems, but I can make progress. I can't, I can't mend every need, but I can help somebody. I can't cure the world's ills, but I can do something. Every day. Because that's why God put us here. And His orders never changed. We're put here to cultivate and to keep the world in which we live. To add to it. Now, we, re- we discussed, didn't we, that the fall had a dramatic effect on our understanding. That we began to use our effort, listen to this, not into what we can contribute, but to what we could get. We began to use our energy toward ourselves. We began to use all of what God gave us in order to profit. Remember Cain in Genesis 4-5, who did not bring an offering to the Lord to please the Lord, but brought an offering to the Lord to get praise. And when God had no regard for his offering, what did he do? He got mad, didn't he? Why? Because he was expecting to earn the regard of God. Look what I did. Therefore, these famous words, you owe me. And that is exactly how the world looks at labor. I'm going to do this and then you owe me. And God said, no, I don't. And he spent the rest of Cain's life doing an attitude adjustment. And he will spend the rest of our lives if we think we can earn the highest things in life by our own efforts doing an attitude adjustment. Because we'll spend the rest of our lives frustrated and disappointed because we can't earn the highest things in life. We can't earn salvation. It says very plainly in Ephesians 2, 8 through 10, it says, Salvation, for we are saved by grace. Grace. Through faith. As a gift. That not of yourselves, it says, lest any man should boast. Not by works, see. We can't earn the highest things of life. We can't earn love. You don't earn love. You accept love. Calvin said, faith is basically passive. It's receiving what you don't deserve. But now watch this. Here's where Satan comes in a second time. And he says, okay, then just sit there and soak it up. The other side of faith 
is that we respond to what we've received. Or it's not really faith. Because belief affects the way we act. You know what? Turn, turn to uh, James. Turn to the book of James, second chapter. Let me show you how this works. This is the, this is the most pointed chapter. Many Christians are confused when they read this because they think it's contradicting what Paul has said. The Bible never contradicts itself. Scripture always goes further to explain other Scripture. And that's exactly what's happening here. Let me explain this to you. Look at verse 14. What use is it, my brethren, if a man says he has faith, but has no works? Can that faith save him? Now, in the Greek, there's an article before him. It says the, but it but is pointing to a particular kind of faith. So it would be accurate to say, can that kind of faith save him? Now, you say, well, Paul told us, look, we're saved by, by grace through faith. That's what saves a person. Nothing else. There's nothing you can add to it or subtract from it. There's nothing else you can do. Doesn't this just say you've got to add works? No, it doesn't say that. What this is saying is it was, it's differentiating between what is mere intellectual assent, that kind of faith. You know, it, it doesn't take a genius at the end of a Four Spiritual Laws book to say, boy, if this can save me from hell, I'll, I'll agree to this intellectually. Yeah, okay, I believe that Jesus is God. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, I'll, I'll do that one, you know. But in the Scripture, there's a kind of faith that takes your life. And that's the kind of faith that is real. That's the kind of faith of Jesus Christ. Read on with me. Look what it says. If a brother or sister is without clothing and in need of uh, daily food... And one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed, be filled. <laughs> and yet you do not give them what is necessary for their body. What use is that? Even so, faith, if it has no works, is dead being by itself. Now look what he just did. He separated the intellectual belief from the effect of our lives. And he's saying this is really not faith. You know, intellectual belief is not... If you separate it from having an effect on your life, if you think you can believe and not change, you haven't got faith. What you have is just an addition to the computer. You've got more input filed in a file somewhere, but it's not faith. Read on with me. It says, but someone may well say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without the works, and I will show you my faith by my works. Now, look what he just did here. He changed the direction. Remember that in the fall, the works went upward and said, Okay, God, I do this, therefore you owe me this. He just changed the direction. He said, By my faith, or by, uh, with my faith, I will show you my works. It goes down now. In other words, because of what I believe, it has had an effect on the way I behave. You understand? That is how you can tell that you've got the real thing. This thing has a hold of you. 
It's not something you voluntarily grab, voluntarily grab. It grabs you. That's faith. Now, come on with me. It says, you believe that God is one? Well, you do well. The demons also believe and shudder. See, he's saying, this intellectual thing's no big trick. The demons know Jesus is Lord. They're not saved. It's not just a matter of up here. Read on with me. But are you willing to recognize, you foolish fellow, that faith without works is useless? There's that division again. Now, here's a very confusing verse for many Christians. Was not Abraham, our father, justified by works when he offered up Isaac, his son, on the altar? Again, looks like a contradiction, doesn't it? It just said we're saved by grace through faith. That's when we're justified. It says in another part of the Bible that Abraham believed and it was reckoned unto him as righteousness. Doesn't this thing just say Abraham got saved by works? He got justified by his works? No, no, I meant. Look at what we just talked about. This is a reflection of the kind of faith that Abram had, a completion, there's that word again, a teleos, a maturity, that qualifies the kind of faith he has. This is saying, you know the difference, let me, let me see, you know the difference between making an offering of money or making an offering of something and, and, and um, uh, making an offering of yourself? One word, I'll tell you the difference. Sacrifice. When we sacrifice, we know that we have offered ourselves. And we have not just offered our goods. Not just offered our labor. Not just offered part of our life. We've offered all of our life. Because it costs us. David said, I will not offer to the Lord that which costs me nothing. Why? Because David wanted to give his life to the Lord. And he knew that only when it costs you something are you given your life. Otherwise, you're just given a part of what God's given you. And that's not faith. And so scripture here is saying, let me read on, let me read on. And then I'll be done with this section. It says, you see that faith was working with his works. And as a result of the works, faith was perfected. There's that word again. Faith was matured as a result of the works. In other words, the works showed that the faith was real and that it was complete and that it had a hold of him. Now, we've also said that since the fall, we have been privileged, 1 Corinthians 3, 8, not to become workers for God, there it goes up again, right? But to become co-laborers with God. When Jesus Christ becomes a part of our life, we become a co-laborer with him and we are yoked with him. Now, here is a tremendous discomfort. Because when Jesus Christ is in your life, when you are in a yoke with Jesus Christ, guess who leads? If you are truly yoked with Jesus Christ... You will find the walk of faith very fulfilling, but not easy. Very joyful, but not easy. 
very complete, but not automatic. You know, this is where we start to separate, as it were, remember that old saying, the men from the boys and the girl from the women? Somebody once said, you know, it's not. They, they, somebody, was, somebody was griping about the ineffectiveness of Christianity to solve the problems of the world. Many have said this over the years, and so therefore they did not believe. And someone replied, you know, it's not that Christianity has been found, uh, has been tried and found wanting. It is that Christianity has been found difficult and never fully tried. And that's exactly what this scripture is saying. If you want a genuine faith, that faith will grab a hold of you and will change your life. If you've got a problem in your life, do something about it. You've got the power to do something about it. If you've got a gripe in your life, do something about it. Come on, add something. Come on, labor. Come on, put forth some effort. Don't sit around and whine. I put you there for positive action, and that's what I'm waiting on. And we sit around and say, well, God, I've got to learn more before I do anything. And God says to us, I'm not going to teach you anymore until you do something. Because it's through your effort, I will teach you accurately who I am. Somebody said, uh, I heard a story once about a, about a, uh, a fire squadron that went down. This is an old time before they had lights uh, you know, on the thing. And, and it, there was a house on fire. And this fire squadron went down there and they put the end of the hose into the pond so that they could pump the water out. And, and the fire chief said, start pumping and we'll start squirting. And, the, and there was one guy on the fire uh, squadron that said, well, wait a minute, we can't see what we're doing. It's too dark out here. Let the thing really blaze up so we can see what we're doing. I feel like that's the way the church operates, you know. Well, we don't know exactly what to do, but let the, let the world, you know, really get dis- destroyed. Let it, you know, let the lives of people really be set on fire until it's so evident that an idiot would know what to do, and then we're gonna do something. And God said, uh-uh. You do with what I've given you, and then I give you more. That's how God works. That's how He works. How do you know? How do you know? Who to team up with? How do you know what to do? Turn to John chapter 15. Let me tell you two valuable lessons. One is an attitude, and the other is an action. Look at verse 16. This is Jesus talking to his disciples. And it is him talking to us. You did not choose me. I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should remain, that whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he may give to you. Very important two things. First of all, you've got to get, before you can labor in a fruitful way in this world, you've got to get out of your mind that you're the one that found God. You know why? Because if you think 
that when the time was right in your life, that you finally, okay, God, I believe in you, I choose you. In your mind, there's still your initiative for the sign-up. And when the things get tough, and when you don't want to change your life anymore, you think to yourself, well, I signed up, I can sign off. I can write myself a furlough. And I can get out of this thing because I'm the one that made the initiative in the first place. The more mature you get in Jesus Christ, the more you will realize He was guiding your life even when you were a believer. And He was guiding the life of everybody around you, believers and non-believers alike, to place a call on your life. You didn't choose Him. He chose you. And when you realize you've been, a cho- you've been chosen and you are under authority and you are appointed, there's a whole different look to like life. Because there are not... Listen, there are not self-made rules. There is submission. And he puts you here for a purpose, to do something. Now, let me tell you a story. When I was three churches into the ministry, I was in an appointive system. This is a system whereby we don't choose the churches, we don't candidate, we are appointed by a bishop. And the district superintendent appoints pastors according to how he thinks they size up with the churches, among other factors. Okay, so here I am, young guy, in my second or third parish, I forget which one it was, every parish I had gone to had had significant um, problems when I went there. I mean, people were fighting, churches had split, there was, I mean, it was just awful, you know? And Beck and I went and just hung out and just loved and things got okay. You know, through the grace of God, things got okay. So I get a call from the district superintendent one day, Hunter, come see me. Well, God, the district superintendent doesn't call you to make small talk. I mean, he didn't want me to drive 60 miles just to say, so how you doing? And hang out with me. I knew that. So I, I drove 60 miles. I went over to Beck and said, Oop, here it is. I wonder, what, I wonder where we're going to be. Drove 60 miles, sat down in his office. He said, how, did, how are you doing? I said, what would you call me here for? I don't like small talk. don't like suspense. <laughs> I've always been straightforward. said, what would you call me here for? He said, well, we got a church. He said, now, Hunter, you've, you've gone through several church fights and we've noticed that there's a there's a reconciliation that comes in your ministry when people are quarreling and so this particular church just you just came to mind for it. I said, Oh great. Oh man. I said, what church is it? So he told me the church. And I started doing research on this church because we had a couple of a couple of months before we were going to move. Now you don't say sit there and say, Well, I'll just choose as to whether or not I'm going to address this. When you are under authority, you go. Period. All right? And I was under authority. So I said, okay. So I go to this thing. You would not have believed this place. I mean, the meetings that they had. There was such fighting in this church. I couldn't believe it was a church. I I literally couldn't believe it. There was such fighting at this church that they would start a meeting at 8 o'clock and they wouldn't finish up till 2, 3 o'clock in the morning because they spent the whole time calling each other names. I mean, it would go from arguing over an issue to an attack on one's personal credibility, then escalate 
to attack on one's physical appearance and then to an attack on all of the relatives one ever had. It was incredible. So we're hearing this thing. We walk into this church. Now let me ask you what you would do if you went into a situation like that. I know most of you would do the right thing and just begin to pray and say, God, I'm just, I'm praying. I'm just, that's my basic attitude. I'm face down on the carpet. But how many of you would walk in there and call a meeting and try to sort it all out? Not me. Uh uh. Because if the disagreements came up in the meeting, they aren't going to be solved by a meeting. I haven't got the kind of wisdom that can walk in and say, oh, those other preachers didn't know what they were doing. I can just locate the main issues and help everybody see where they can compromise. I haven't got that kind of stuff. I'm not sure anybody does. It would take an egomaniac to think that he could go in and solve a political dispute by political means. Or solve a theological dispute by taking a theological side. It's not what we did. You know what we did? We just moved into that church and just hung out. We didn't call any meetings. I mean, if people called meetings and they invited us, we went. And we just sat and grinned the whole time. Just sat and grinned. So how are your children? You know, what's it? Lived here long? You know? And just listened. And people would find, they would find us, they'd come knock on our door and start griping about so-and-so in church. We just listened. Boy, I understand. I just understand. And I did. We understood where they were coming from. They explained it very well. We understood it all. We did. For months, though, you know what we did? We looked for people who were adding something, who were doing something. We came to the place where we were looking for people as looking at people as they went out into the parking lot to see which ones picked up litter. And we thought, now there's a constructive person. (laughs) We looked at the people who didn't need to be in all those fights. They'd take their turn in the nursery. And we'd think, well, now there's somebody who's adding something. We looked for the people who could stand out in the hallway and while all of this fighting was going on, could joke with one another. And we thought, now there's a person who has perspective. And slowly, we just came alongside those people and worked with those people. You know what? God calls you not to just die for Jesus Christ. He calls you to work for Jesus Christ. This world needs people who are more contributory than right. Who are more loving than correct. God will guide us into what is correct. I'm not saying theological accuracy isn't valuable, but I'm saying everybody thinks they're theologically accurate. We're looking for people who can come across with something we need from God. It is so important. The king of Greece, King Paul, once in a very hard time, this is in history, in the the lives of his people, went every day and worked with them. Worked with them. Hand worked with them. And when he would make a speech, there would always be a cadre of people who stood up and said, we are willing to die for Greece. And the king always said, that's not enough. Are you willing to work for your country? 
That's what God wants. You know why? Because there are people dying out there. And we need somebody who will do something. You may not have all the answers, but you have a family into which you can invite them that can love them. It's very important. Now, I'm getting all mixed up here. I'm losing my way. Um, what time is it? What time are we supposed to get done with this thing? Does anybody know? What time? Quarter till nine? Okay. All right. Let me switch horses here. Quarter. Oh, quarter till eleven. Is this Sunday? Is this Sunday morning? I've, I've been in this thing a long time here. <laughs> Holy cow! I've been. been okay. Quarter till eleven. Okay. I, 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 I'll get there. I'll get there. Eleven. Oh, good. I got some more time. Okay, good. Good. I guess because I got some more stories. Yeah, I do. Did you ever, did you ever stop to think? Yeah, let me also tell you this. Just as I'm talking about that, that dear old church. Let me tell you something about working for positive things. Many of you think if I work, if I will contribute, if I will do my best, all of the criticism will go away. Let me, let me ask you, do you think that when in that church that incidentally quintupled in five years. Do you think that in that church, while we were just pulling along, just trying to put one foot in front of the other, just trying to do the positive thing, and in every situation, just try to add something positive, do you think all of the critics just kind of faded away? Not on your life. You know and I know that those critics hang around and they just look for you to make a mistake. They're just looking. They're just, you, remember, you remember when um, um, Nehemiah was building the wall? What happened? Man, here come these Jews. They're building this wall. And their enemies just come and just pick at them. You know? You think you can do this? Man, we could knock this thing down. And there they are every day having to work in the midst of criticism. And when you begin... To live your life on the basis of, God, I'm going to do something positive today. I'm going to contribute something positive today. Chances are the criticism will go up even higher. You know why? Because people feel guilty. They'd rather criticize and stand around and, and um, kibitz on the situation than they would join you. And so the criticism will go up. But that doesn't matter to God. And you know what? If... Listen to this. If everything you do shows no progress, you know where everything you do has just been stored? In heaven. That's how you get treasures in heaven. Everything you do will be rewarded. It says that again and again and again. So it doesn't make any difference. As long as you're doing what you're supposed to be doing. You know, Tony Campala once took... Uh, his son, Bart, down to Haiti. And told Tony is a wonderful missionary spirit, wonderful giving man. And But it, somehow he just kind of fell back into the American mentality of, says, of saying we do things for ourselves and, and, and this is what we're in here for and, and all of that kind of stuff. He never said that, but there's, there's a mentality that all of us have. People that come to church, why do you come to church? Well, so that I can get fed. Well, so that I can learn more about God. 
Well, so that I can be a better person, so that my life will be better. See, all of that's the payoff stuff, see? That's getting stuff. Well, all of us have that mentality. And so he's coaching his son. His son's like nine years old at the time. He's coaching his son. He said, now, when we walk through these streets, we're going to be surrounded with kids who are going to be asking you for money. He said, don't give any kid money. And Bart says, why not? I got it right here. And, and Tony says, because if you give one of those kids money, the rest of those kids are going to beg you for money until you are completely broke. And Bart looked at him and said, so? Oh, for the life and love and faith of a child. What if we pour our lives out and see no progress? So, we've given it all. And that is exactly what Jesus Christ did. That's exactly what we're here for. Now, let me, let me get to this building thing, because I'll never get to it, because I'm just... And it's not totally separate from what I've just told you. The character is the same. But we're taking an offering here today. We, we never do this, but we're doing it. This is the same basket, by the way, that we took the offering to renovate the roller skating rink. Got many memories in this basket. Let me tell you a couple of things, a couple of reasons why we're doing this, so that you can get this in perspective. On the way to becoming mature people in Christ, we need to develop an attitude of including those that are dying out there. Because God loves them too. It is so easy for us to just think that maturity is learning more and more and going deeper and deeper. When really maturity is giving your life and sacrificing for those that don't have. I know that you come here so frustrated every Sunday because you have to walk three miles to get in this place and go like this. And you probably think, oh great, let's build another building so we can have even more people. That's exactly what we want to do. You know why? Because our tendency, my tendency is to be so glad just what we got right now. God, just let's, let us just handle... If we can just handle the people you gave us, that'll be a big job, won't it, God? God's saying, yeah, that's kind of a job you could do. But that's not a job that exhausts me. We, we have designed a building, not only for kids, because we believe that kids are dying out there. I mean, they're just their lives are coming apart. And we want to be able to... to literally include those families in ours out of a love for them and out of a character of God. But we designed a building that uh, essentially um, was the size that our parking would permit. Now, let me show you the sense of humor God has. Here we designed this building. Well, all of us believe that God's going to do something tremendously significant in this place. Even in spite of all our weaknesses, God's got plans and we, we just catch wind of this. It's just in the spirit. We know it. Okay? So, when we look at this building, you know, and, and someday we would love to have enough time and services without excluding people or telling them they've got to come on, you know, Wednesday evening at 10.30 for a service. Sometimes we'd lo- love to have enough time where we could just, we could just 
give all that God has given us, both in worship and in, and in, and in words. So, so, but there's a, there's a limitation, you know, because we've got to build a building only so big as we have parking. Three days. I hate this. Three days before we have this all-night prayer vigil, the owner of the dog track calls up and says, would you guys be interested in buying the eight acres directly adjacent to your property? Hate that. <laughs> you know, I keep thinking, we, okay, we finally know what we're doing, you know? Quit that. Cut it out. God says, yeah, you know what you're doing. I want you to know what I'm doing. So here we are. We're, you know, we, we want to build this thing. We want to start with the kids and then we want to, and we want to go from there. We want to include people. Because God loves them as much as He loves us. And I want to confess to you that I have, I have become so caught up in the life of Christians that I have almost lost my evangelistic vision.